0: Welcome, everybody, to Crystal Kyle and friends. Today, we're going to be talking to Bradley Moss, or as I affectionately call him, Randy Moss. Um, <laughs> how's it going?
1: Uh, going good. Uh, how's it going for you? Now you're excited good. about the Masters. Oh,
0: pff, I'm all up in it. Yeah. I have the. I always have the four streams going at once. I know, baby. I know. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. It's a I've whole already week. been
1: warned that you'll be unavailable for anything useful. I was like, oh, this weekend,
0: weekend, I don't exist. Just, I don't, I'm not, I don't exist. There is no Kyle. I'm just glued to the TV three inches away. It's like, it is, I'm not, I'm not big on like tradition, but like, this is the one thing where I'm like, oh, this is a Holy Week. Clear the calendar. Let's all sit around, worship Tiger Woods. That's how (laughs) it works. (laughs) Okay. All right. We got an awesome show for you guys today. Um, I was interested in talking to a legal expert on what's going on with Trump because you hear a lot of different opinions from different parts of the media mm-hmm. where some people think this isn't going anywhere. Like, you know, uh, it's not good charges to go after him on. Yeah. And then other people think, I don't know, I, you know, when I read the fact sheet, me personally, I thought, yeah, this makes sense to me. Like, I I see it, right? And then you have also the other cases. This guy's an expert, um, particularly in, like, the classified documents case, too, which is interesting. That's
1: right. So he's a national security lawyer. The classified documents piece, this is, like, his... This is like his masters. He's like That's very, right. yeah, deep into it. I have a lot of questions on that, and he, but he, he can provide in-depth analysis on any of the current or potential charges facing Trump, and we've relied on uh, Bradley for legal analysis over at Breaking Points. And so I thought it made sense to bring him on for a longer conversation and you know he's someone who definitely has his view he's you know in favor of Trump being held accountable for a variety of his crimes but I've also found him to be very fair in terms of his um you know analysis of just what the facts of the case are so yeah. it should be good.
0: And I, I care more about detailed. That's what I care about. Mm-hmm. Like, can you if you can get into the details of it? That's because that, that's where I don't maybe don't know as much as I should.
1: Yeah. Um, well and there are some complexities with the the Stormy Daniels one it's like and Karen McDougal,
0: now we learned, right? Right. She's what are, what
1: uh, Alvin Bragg didn't make it entirely clear what his theory of the case was in mm. terms of which crimes this was in service of covering up that pushes it from the misdemeanor to the felony. So we can hear from Brad about, you know, his analysis of what the strongest case that could be made there uh, possibly is and whether he was sort of impressed by the strength of this indictment and the statement of facts or whether he found it sort of, uh, underwhelming. So we'll get all of that. But before
0: we we get to that, there's a wee bit of a story that dropped, um, the other day, which is Clarence Thomas has been illegally accepting luxury gifts and private jet travel for decades. So this was, uh, what's being called a bombshell ProPublica report and, um, so the specifics are: there's this particular billionaire who literally sounds like a Bond villain. Yeah, his name is Harlan Crow.
1: See, I thought more of a Batman villain. Yeah, that I works. Yeah. yeah, he's just
0: a villain. A villain. He's just a villain. <laughs> um, so his name's Harlan Crow, and um, he has he has a super yacht that he lets uh, Clarence Thomas use. He has a private jet that he lets Clarence Thomas use. He has a ranch that he lets him use. He has a you know a billionaire private resort that he lets him use. And, um, so, you know, the speculation is that, well, actually this part is not speculation. He doesn't put this stuff on the, his financial disclosures, which they say this is according to ProPublica and reported in media here. It appears to quote, violate a law requiring justices, judges, members of Congress and federal officials to disclose most gifts. Mm. And so they just sort of go into detail about, uh, sort of how unprecedented this is. Now I'll go on out on a limb here and say, I don't think it's that unprecedented. It might be the first that we heard of it. Yeah. But I bet you what you think Antonin Scalia wasn't doing similar things to this. I bet he was right. Maybe there just wasn't the, you know, whatever the investigative reporting that was happening to really dive into what he was he was doing. But I mean, when he died, when he was on some luxury hunting trip or something like that. Right. But look, this is a big deal. And this is one of those things where you talk about, you know, uh, people not having trust in our institutions. And it's like, well, why should they? When they see stuff like this, because now just to explain this to everybody, anytime you have a case that is tangentially related to some interest this billionaire has come in front of Clarence Thomas, we all know exactly what he's going to do. It's not a question. And do you think he's actually going by the law and going by a reasonable interpretation of the Constitution? Or does he view his job as, look, I'm the representative of the billionaire class as a judge, as a Supreme Court justice?
1: Well, he has both now a financial and an ideological interest in serving the billionaire class, as he always has consistently done throughout his um, term on the court. Just to give you some of the additional details to show you how just brazen and uh, extensive this is from this GOP donor, billionaire businessman, Uh, apparently Thomas and his wife vacation at Crow's private resort in the Adirondacks about a week every single summer, so, this isn't like a one off little thing. One of their trips alone, a nine day trip to uh, Indonesia that, again, Thomas and his wife, Ginny Thomas, took, uh, would have, that one trip alone would have cost a couple more than half a million
0: oh, dollars. How do you even have a trip that expensive?
1: I don't know. It included, it says, flights on Crow's Jet, island hopping on a super yacht. And so, if they had paid for it themselves, more than half a million dollars. Just that one trip alone. And we're talking about this is every summer and more. Just down of the goodness of this billionaire's heart, of course. So there's a lot to say about this. Number one, the lack of disclosure may be a legitimate legal issue. That's number one.
0: I hope so, but there's also no ethics code, right? That's
1: the, the second piece is that every other court, court mm-hmm. in the nation has some sort of code of ethics, right. except the Supreme Court, right. where they have abided by this sort of like, you know, their own internal goodwill and code of conduct Clearly, the Thomases, this is far from the first time that they've been accused of abusing that trust and um, exploiting the fact that there is no actual code of conduct. I mean, Ginny Thomas is, uh, you know, out there, firebrand, activists implicated in like Stop the Steal machinations, yep. mm-hmm. taking significant income from these right wing groups, some of which have had business before the court yes. or have, you know, filed briefs in support. Of uh, certain cases that have become have come before the court. And
0: he doesn't recuse so, himself.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you you say this is maybe not unprecedented that maybe other justices have taken these types of trips before and not disclosed it. I certainly mm-hmm. don't doubt that. But I do think that Clarence Thomas has um has continually, brazenly violated what any reasonable expectation of avoiding conflicts of interest would be in his position as a so, Supreme
0: Court Justice. Uh since it's a lifetime appointment the only way to handle this would be impeachment, right? Like you right. can't, right, okay. So he should be kicked off the court. That's, I mean, point number one, whether or not it'll actually get done is, you know, slim to none chance. But look, man, I'll go further. This should be like jail time. It really should be. Because one of the things that frustrates me about the way the system works is the corruption that's built into it yeah. just becomes the duh position. Where everybody's like, what do you mean? This is just how it works. Yep, And it's like, no. That's the main problem with our politics.
1: The fact that it is the way it works is exactly the problem. That's exactly the problem with our politics, that this is like seen as common and normal way of doing business.
0: So you talk to a politician or a judge and, you know, bring up the corruption and it's like asking a fish about the water. They're Mm -hmm. just like, that's just business as usual. Yeah. Like, yeah, we take legalized bribes. We do the bidding of industry. And then you wonder why. I mean, the point we always bring up, 600,000 homeless Americans... And it's like, there's nobody saying we need, we need an immediate bailout for these people. There's right. 600,000 Americans who are struggling. 500,000 medical bankruptcies every single year. It's the about- number one cause of bankruptcy. Nobody says, we need to address this right yeah. away. But I guarantee you, this billionaire, he picks up the phone and makes a call and he could get whatever decision he wants on whatever case he has in front of the Supreme Court. Yeah, it would be treated
1: as an emergency. Whereas, I mean, to give you another perfect example, as of April 1st, there's an estimated 15 million people who are going to lose their health insurance. going to be covered that. off of mm-hmm. Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was done, you know, by Joe Biden and the Democrats and the Republicans, and there has been near media silence. I thought saw one article in the Washington Post about it, and that's about it. Now, do you think that's an emergency? For the 15 million people right. who are about to be cast out into the healthcare cold, of course, is it treated as any, not even emergency, like even as a cause for concern among the D.C. political class? No, not whatsoever, because they're not able to fund, you know, luxury trips for people in high places and allow them to stay at their private resorts and whatever. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that this should be treated as harshly as it possibly can be. And the problem is that it it never is because every, almost everybody is implicated. That's so right. mm-hmm. they don't want a harsh light turned on this type of corruption, which, by the way, the Supreme Court has gone a long way to saying basically like corruption doesn't even exist. Right. And Clarence mm-hmm. Thomas is part of that yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, they don't want to turn a harsh eye on corruption because so many of them are implicated as well.
0: Yeah. And then the final point is the, the veneer of fake respectability that the media puts over all of it. Yeah. And that all, the, like, the show puts all over it. The honorable gentlemen of the Supreme Court. Yeah. Look at them wearing robes. Like- right. Or this like is, all a show. this is all a show. We're supposed to,
1: you know, oh, we can't possibly, like, reform the institution because right, this yeah. is our legacy, whatever. No, like
0: justices is all it's supposed to be. Right. Like, Get out of here with the your— the number a, m- a bunch of times already.
1: Stop pretending like this court is anything other than, like, political, a partisan yeah. political outfit. Like, let's just drop the veneer. So— You know, when I see the numbers in trust in institutions like the Supreme Court, when I see them going down, I see that as a sign actually of health among the American body politic, that they
0: have their eyes open about what's going on. Correct. They're not honorable gentlemen and gentlewomen. We got crooks. That's what we have. We have crooks who are masquerading as serious adult people who are. Blandly interpreting the plain just face calling of balls the and strikes. Yeah, just calling balls and strikes. My ass cheeks. That's what you're doing. Get out yeah, of here.
1: Indeed. Um, all right. So we got another one for you. This is just. I don't. I have no words. Um, let's check in with what the Kansas State Legislature oh, is this doing. To be good. Uh, a Republican bill there authorizes. I'm reading directly from Newsweek here. Genital exams of schoolchildren, critics say. The Kansas State Legislature has passed a ban on transgender students participating in female categories in school and college sports after overriding a veto by the state's Democratic governor. I forgot they had a Democratic governor. Laura Kelly, uh, that's their Democratic governor, had rejected the bill dubbed the, quote, Fairness in Women's Sport Act on March 17th, as well as two previous attempts at similar legislation, Republican lawmakers who introduced the legislation suggested it would be enforced during a physical examination, which critics have taken to mean a genital inspection. So,
0: kids. Well, that sounds like grooming to me. Kids
1: being subjected to genital inspection from the party that is so deeply concerned about the children.
0: Remember the whole anti-grooming dialogue? Like, you know, everybody on the right was calling people on the left, groomer, 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 Still groomer. Going on. Okay, groomer. It's like, well, what's this? Do you want to check out? dick and balls of some child or check out their pussy like really this is what we're doing now so my first question is how many trans athletes are there even in kansas
1: well that's what i always wonder too what is it, like
0: one two
1: these republican legislators have become obsessed with this issue and like pushing through these bills in every state house that they control in the country and you know making this a real litmus test on the right for for where you stand on these issues and it's like How many people does this even literally apply to that you're putting this at the very top of your agenda?
0: There was one state, I forget which state it was, where it was literally one trans athlete. And it was a whole, you know, a whole like statewide story and they were acting on it. And it's like, what are we doing here? You know, I often think about for our kids, they're still doing co-ed. At an age where I remember growing up where I grew up in New York. Yeah. We didn't have co ed at that age. Yeah. We were separated already by that age. Yeah. Well, I guess it's like a numbers issue. Right. Given you where grew we up
1: are. In populated yeah.
0: We live place. in a in a more rural county now. Yeah. And so they do co ed at this age. And even at this age, you know, the nine, ten range, mm-hmm. right? Like it's still like there's it's still relatively equal competitively. Definitely. And you have some girls who are better than some of the boys. Definitely. And I, you know, we see it. And so you look at that and you go, look, I understand when you get to the older, like the college level and you get to professional sports and yeah. stuff, there's a reason why they separate out, you know, the men and the women sure. and they, every, like everybody understands, I think as a society. People have come to accept that. And that's not an issue of like, it's not the same as like violating somebody's civil rights or not treating somebody equal, equally under the law or whatever. But at like th- these younger ages, potentially even to the high school level, it's like, who cares? right it's it's really not a big issue number one number two like you said there's like one or two trans people in the entire state of kansas who are probably involved in these in these sports why is this a national issue and the fact of the matter is like you said the right leans into it for culture war reasons yeah guess what guys didn't work they ran. apparently they ran a whole bunch of ads on trans issues before the midterms along with the crime thing they did these were things they leaned into and you know what the reaction was from the public This doesn't touch bread and butter issues. This isn't touching kitchen table issues.
1: Well, not only that, but they felt like when they were focused, like DeSantis on, you know, kids protecting kids from sexualization or in school or whatever, they felt like this was a real winning issue. And number one, that didn't turn out to be the case in the midterms. Number two... Now they keep creeping into more and more extreme territory and the consequences of their rhetoric consequences, like kids being subjected to genital exams in order to participate in some like parks and rec sports situation or local, you know, school sports situation. The consequences become increasingly clear where people are like, what the hell is wrong with you? And also, you know, I feel like on um, these types of issues Whichever party just comes off as the most weirdly obsessed with it and the most extreme is going to be on the losing side of the debate. So there was a, a time period where, you know, I think the, the politics of this may have been uh, a bit different, where it seemed like Democrats were more focused on um, these issues over and above any sort of bread and butter issues. And the public was kind of like, why are you like focused over here instead of what's going to you know put food on my table? That dynamic has totally flipped and Republicans seem literally obsessed with, um, you know, transports and these sort of like niche online ideological culture war obsessions. And it puts them wildly. uh, I would love for them to pull uh, like this is wildly out of step with where Americans are and especially not just like not just nationwide, but I would bet in red states like Kansas as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's the classic overreach. We saw this with, uh, they had a direct vote in Kansas on, um, whether or not they're going to be pro-choice. That's right. And in deep red Kansas, it was like a crushing victory. It was for not the even close. Side. And so, yeah, with something like this, governor vetoing it, it mm-hmm. overrides the veto. It's like, okay, y- y- should we go to the numbers and check how many homeless people there are in Kansas or how many people are living below the poverty line, even though they work a full-time job or how many people don't have care, Like, this is what you're focusing on, really? Because again, I bet if we look at the numbers, in some other state, it was like one trans athlete. This, you know, whatever, you probably count it on two hands or less, however yeah. many we're dealing with here. And um, it's just, they're they're up their own ass. I don't know what else to say about it. I mean, they've drunk the culture war Kool-Aid and they're ODing on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, from these type of incredibly extreme bills to, you know, Bills that are being floated that would give women who get an abortion the death penalty, or right multiple ban- states for that, yeah, banning women from traveling across the state line across state lines to seek that. an abortion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is Child really marriage.
0: One by the way, I don't know if you saw that one. I covered this one recently. Uh-uh, tell me there was I forget which state it was. I was just trying to look it up. I couldn't find it. Um, there's a state that was trying to raise the uh, the age for marriage, and the Republicans defeated it. They were like, no. I think it's like. 16 now, they wanted to raise it to 18 or it was like 15 and they wanted to raise it to 18 and they were just like, no. Or how about all the
1: like child labor lobbying rolled back? That's a big one. Because that's been happening in a number of places. capitalists are like, no, the labor market's too tight. Got to get those kids in the workforce to keep wages low.
0: Well, you saw the dichotomy between, I think it was Minnesota with Governor Tim Walz signing a bill to give free school lunch to all kids. Right. And have it in New Mexico too. That governor as well, free school lunch to all kids. Phenomenal. Like, you know, those governors, my hat's off to them. That. That's really great stuff. It's so basic but then you compare yeah. that with the uh the in the red states, like in Arkansas, where they sign they loosen child labor laws and you look at the contrast and it's like, Jesus Christ, man, this is crazy.
1: You know, they ban kids from like graduating high school and stuff if they have quote unquote school lunch debt. Well,
0: you and I in talked about places. this. We this wanted to go crazy. to uh the our school district and asked if we could just pay off the school lunch debt.
1: Yeah. Because we got a letter home about like you know our kid having like quote unquote school lunch debt, which obviously isn't an issue for us. But you're like, how many people, right? You know, yeah, is this a a real burden for? And uh, it's
0: insane. It's it isn't. It absolutely.
1: And it's a a relatively small cost that it would take even to deal with this. And they just oh, in the grand scheme of things, not it's nothing.
0: It. It's a fraction of a penny.
1: Can't understand it. We'll never understand it.
0: Indeed. We're going to go ahead and uh, introduce our guest?
1: All right, let's get to it. So as you guys know, uh, former President Trump indicted on 34 felony counts of uh, business fraud this week. He also faces legal jeopardy in a number of other potential cases, whether it's Fulton County down in Georgia, whether it's the special counsel, the documents case, fake electors, insurrection, incitement, all of these various things. So... Um, excited to bring in Bradley Moss, national security lawyer, to break all of it down for us. Let's get to it.
0: Bradley Moss, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Happy to do so. So there's a bunch of stuff I want to um, ask you about. I mean, we could start. Let's actually start with the case which you're uh, most familiar, which is the classified uh, documents case. So my first question is, like, there's a lot of people who look at it and say, well, Biden also had classified documents that they found and like Mike Pence had a few that they found. And so, you know, in the eyes of the normie, many people might go, it seems like a wash because it looks like everybody's sort of doing this low key and, you know, they used to get away with it. Now some of them are getting caught. How would you respond to that? Because my gut reaction is to say, "Okay, maybe, but Then when you get into the question of obstruction, it seems pretty obvious that Pence uh, went along with law enforcement right away, Biden, same thing, and Trump, now we have evidence potentially even on video of him obstructing. So is that the correct response or is there other responses? Break that down for me.
2: Yeah, no, that is the correct response. So let's be clear. There's a reason there's a special counsel going on into Biden, which I think is totally appropriate and is totally fine. And I assume that he'll cooperate with it, uh, exert whatever privileges he wants. But when it comes to the distinction between what Biden and Pence are facing versus the very real threat at the moment that Trump is facing, it all comes down to the obstruction angle. If this had been a simple situation where the, you know, the National Archives and then eventually the Justice Department had come to Trump back in 2021 and early 2022 and said, look, we found the in our laws these records that were missing. We've even found with some of the stuff you turned over, there were classified records. Just give it all back no harm, no foul, this would have been a nothing. It would have been a slap on the wrist, if anything. It would have been politically embarrassing for Donald Trump. But with what Biden's done as well with his classified records, it would have been nothing from a legal standpoint. Why Donald Trump is in trouble is because Donald Trump is Donald Trump. And he can't bring himself to play by the rules. Everything's a negotiation. Everything's a game. And so as we're hearing now from these reports, and of course, we only have media reports. We haven't seen... Grand jury testimony, grand jury proceedings are secret, but we know that the lawyers were brought in because they were the justice part was able to pierce attorney-client privilege with the criminal, you know, crime fraud exception to that privilege. So We know that there is instances. We know the video, you know, recordings you mentioned. We know that they've interviewed a number of people at Mar-a-Lago. We know that Will Nauda, I think is his name, the the body man, was uh, interviewed by the FBI. We have evidence details of consistent obstruction by Donald Trump and Donald Trump personally to prevent the government from recovering, not just presidential records in general, but the classified records. That's why he's in trouble more than anything, is the obstruction tied to the recovery of classified records. That's the distinction so far. And we'll see where the Biden probe goes. We'll see where the Pence probe goes. But that's the distinction so far between these types of cases.
1: So can you help people understand what the Trump uh, world defense on this is? Because they have floated a legal theory that basically says, listen, he was president. He can declassify anything he wants. He doesn't have to go through some bureaucratic process to do it. He can do it in his own mind. He can do it by just like waving his hand over a a box of um, documents. And so he declassified all these documents. So there's no crime, no foul here. Um, first of all, explain that legal theory better than I did, and then tell us if you think there's any merit to those claims.
2: Sure, so with everything with Donald Trump and his team, there's always a small kernel of truth and actual understanding of facts and the law that goes into their explanations. So to be clear, up until the moment that Joe Biden took the oath of office, Donald Trump was the incumbent president, he had unfettered, you know, un- you know unaccountable discretion over whether to classify or declassify information that is true. The problem he faces here is even the courts have concluded, this came out of a bunch of uh, Freedom of Information Act litigation during the Trump era, some of which has my name on it, some of which has ACLU names and New York Times names on it, that concluded that even the president has to follow procedures to actually implement the declassification of the documents, just making a press statement about it. Thinking it in his own mind, it might allow him to give it to someone else and that person not in get in trouble. But the documents themselves, as far as the US government is concerned, remain classified. They still have classification markings on them that remain valid until someone goes through the formal process of declassifying them. And that's where he's run into this problem here. So his part of his defense will be that these documents were not classified. Now, one big issue for him is the subpoena didn't ask for classified records. It asks for records with classification markings on them. And as Mm. far as we can tell, all these documents still have those classification markings on them. Because Donald Trump doesn't follow through a procedure. He makes a statement, he's the grand poobah, and he thinks that's just how it works. No, it's not reality. So the subpoena that was obstructed, referred to classification markings, the documents still have those. That will undermine his defense. The separate issue they're going to bring up is the idea that He was relying on advice of counsel and that he thought he had the authority to uh, hold on to these records under the Presidential Records Act. It's basically a oops, my bad defense. That will ultimately fail, but it will require some fleshing out and some pretrial litigation before the judge. And it's going to be an unprecedented prosecution if it comes about, because there's never been a prosecution other than now Manhattan of any former president let alone on classified records, because they didn't do this. Donald Trump is a trailblazer, as we all know. We're going to see another one here.
0: So um, one of the other issues, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that the original reporting said he had some of the highest level of classification. And apparently there are many levels of classification. And he had some stuff that's technically supposed to be viewed in a skiff, which is like a secret room, but it's also under lock and key while in the secret room, does that make the charges potentially even heavier because of like the extreme classified nature of some of the documents?
2: Yeah, so people keep getting caught up in that, and I'll say that it's irrelevant for purposes of criminal liability. It would absolutely come into play if there was a conviction and he was dealing with sentencing. So yeah, so in the classified realm, there's confidential, which is the lowest level, there's secret, there's top secret, and then there's compartmentalized access, these things called like SCIs, sensitive departmented information, SAP, special access programs. Those are the smallest number of people who have access to them, let alone are allowed to get into the room to see them. And at those higher levels, yes, they have to be in what's called a skip, which is a secure room with any number of locks and very you know tightly controlled procedures for accessing and viewing records, you can't bring cell phones into the room or anything like that. So yeah, that would play a role if he's convicted and ultimately sentenced, the type of records that were at issue. But when it comes to, is he criminally liable? It's no more relevant than the fact that apparently some of uh, Joe Biden's records had high-level classification markings on them. The question comes down to, was, was the document classified for purposes of the Espionage Act? And did they still have the classification markings for purposes of the obstruction provision?
1: Um, zooming out from Trump, I wanted to ask you more of a philosophical question, which is something that um, Daniel Ellsberg has raised in other contexts. Actually, I'm thinking of it because uh, Ryan Grimm brought it up on our uh, stream the other night on Breaking Points after we'd already uh, talked with you. And his position in other instances has been that while— um, that effectively criminalizing the uh, unauthorized access or holding onto a classified documents has basically been used frequently, you know, to criminalize whistleblowers. And his view in other uh, instances, and I don't know if he's weighed in specifically on the Trump situation, is that, okay, the government could uh, impose, like, civil penalties and fines here, but to criminalize it is actually inappropriate and it shouldn't be handled in that way. So zooming out from the Trump specifics and Biden and Pence and whatever... Do you agree with that? Um, do you think that we handle uh, classified documents from a legal perspective in the right way? Do you think it should be a criminal offense?
2: Yes, I do. And I say that as someone who won. I hold a security clearance myself, given the nature of some of the people that I've represented over the years, going back to some of the DHS officials who blew the whistle on Donald Trump towards the end of his administration. We had to hold clearances and sit in skips to provide that testimony. So it's very, you know, sensitive and personal to me. I represent countless people who work in the cleared community who lose their, you know, their clearances and their jobs over inadvertent mishandling. So deliberate leaking of cl- of classified records, such as what Chelsea Manning did, Edward Snowden did, uh, that is personally I still believe that to be criminal. But here's the distinction, and here's where I kind of take a, you know, slightly more nuanced view than Daniel Ellsberg and others is there's the inadvertent mishandling and there's the intentional mishandling. And that's generally where the Justice Department draws the line between what they view as simply an administrative problem to have a clearance revoked for most people, Donald Trump doesn't have a clearance to revoke, or a criminal matter with Edward Snowden, with Chelsea Manning, with um, Reality Winner. That was all deliberate leaking. You could say there was good faith, noble intent behind it, and that's fine, that would have been relevant in sentencing, But for purposes of criminal liability, it doesn't matter because there's no public interest defense on that front. And so the Justice Department will prosecute deliberate, intentional leaking of classified information. And that's why Donald Trump, again, as I said before, would likely not be in trouble if he had just turned everything back over. It would have been inadvertent handling. Sorry, we messed up. We were in a rush. We were so busy trying to overthrow the government. We forgot to turn back all the classified records, and we took them to Mar-a-Lago, The government would not have cared at that point. They would have just been happy to have the the records back. The problem here is obstruction for him. And that's where it always comes down to, intent or obstruction. Those are the two circumstances where the government will prosecute for mishandling of documents.
0: Yeah, I mean, perhaps unsurprisingly, I have a different view. I know, Crystal, you probably share my view on this. When it comes to Chelsea Manning, Edward Snowden, Daniel Ellsberg, Julian Assange, etc., um in from my perspective I view them as whistleblowers who are releasing information that really shouldn't be classified in the first place so I would like the public interest defense to be allowed in that sphere but when it comes to Donald Trump in particular uh and this leads to my next question which I think is actually probably the most important one um you know my thinking in the first place was well why do you have all of these documents anyway and of course one theory is look, he's sloppy. He's, uh, you know, he thinks he's above the law. He'll just take it, put it in the box, throw in the boxes, take him out. Doesn't even think about it. That's one theory, but the other theory, and this one really stuck with me. And if I'm being honest, I think this is actually more likely is that we're dealing with a guy who's a a wheeler and dealer. We're dealing with a guy who took $300,000 from Saudi Arabia when he was president through his DC hotel, and then returned favors for them, a number of favors for them. Um, we're talking about a guy who has a son-in-law who took two billion dollars from Saudi Arabia in a super corrupt deal. It also came out recently. Trump's doing a business deal with Qatar. Um, Jared Kushner also did a business deal with Qatar. I mean, we can go on and on here We're with
1: Live Golf. I know that's Live Golf. He's, exactly, he's
0: taken mil- Trump has taken millions of dollars to host these Live Golf tournaments at his uh, golf courses, and this is again directly from uh, Saudi Arabia, and so. When I look at the classified documents, the first thing I think of is like, are you taking some of these documents and selling it to your Saudi buddies or or potentially even other governments? Um, Do you think that's plausible, number one? Number two, as of this moment, is there any evidence to that effect other than just the tracing, you know, following the money effectively?
2: So... I guess I could say it's plausible because nothing Donald Trump does would ever shock me at this point. So I have to consider the possibility, the plausibility that he would do so. But if he did, and this is what would distinguish him from, you know, say Biden or Pence, that would go to intent. If the reason to take the documents wasn't, you know, sloppiness, but was, I want to have these because I might want to use these as part of leverage for some deal with the Saudis or Qatar or whatever, that would go to intent that would be a reason to pursue a criminal prosecution there that wouldn't exist if it had just been inadvertent. And he knows, or at least you would hope he knows by now, his lawyers would tell him that could potentially implicate even greater criminal provisions beyond just the Espionage Act if he was knowingly and intentionally seeking to sell classified secrets to a foreign government. That could cause all kinds of criminal exposure. So that would certainly be something I haven't seen yet, any evidence of it. As far as I can tell, this is Donald Trump being a pack rat. Donald Trump loves mementos. He loves to brag. He loves to show off, look what I've got. And as far as I can tell so far from what we've seen in the media reporting, this was him wanting mementos. If more evidence comes out, if there is indication or evidence or testimony that he was planning to sell these or use it as leverage in business deals, that's a whole nother ballgame. At the moment, I just haven't seen it.
0: Yeah. I mean, all it takes is some spies, though, at Mar-a-Lago. You know what I mean? You're telling me we don't have hostile governments who are who have infiltrated Mar-a-Lago and they're trying to get in on those geriatric orgies. I bet. And I bet Trump's <laughs> showing off all the documents. Look at this. This is a tremendous document. Let me show you. You want to know about Israel's nuclear weapons? Come with me. Like I could totally see that happening. But of course, that is just speculation. Sorry. Yeah.
1: Well, I think they caught like a Chinese spy trying to the- get yes, to Mar-a-Lago. I- yes, before, I remember that so, I mean, yeah. yeah, this is would be a bonanza for any sort of foreign intelligence service. Um, you know, are you shocked at the casualness um, and in some ways like brazen disregard for the law and proper procedure that is displayed certainly by Trump? But, you know, we have the Hillary Clinton like private email server situation. Now we found Biden had dog and Pence had documents because I will tell you, my, my father uh, served, you know, in his career. He was a civilian scientist for the U.S. Navy and um, top secret clearance and They were very careful about how they dealt with these documents. There was a procedure in place. None of them would have ever dreamed of violating the procedure. And so he found the brazenness of what Trump is alleged to have done to be quite shocking. I'm just curious, given you have, you know, a lot of uh, experience and expertise in this area, is it surprising to you that not just Trump, but so many other high-level officials seem to not be taking the care with these documents that Lower-level regular government employees are expected to every day.
2: Sadly, no. I'm not shocked, and here's why: for most of these people, they never worked in this field at the you know in the trenches like your father would have done, like somebody of yeah. my colleagues yeah. would have done. Where it's you got your annual trainings, you have constant you know security looking over your shoulder to make sure you spun the lock on the classified safe, right? To make sure you pulled your CAC card out before you left for the day and logged out of your e- classified email systems. They don't have any of that, you know. People on the right like to call me this deep state sorrow shill. They forget that in 2016, I was leading a FOIA lawsuit for the Daily Caller that got records on Hillary Clinton's security training and yeah. saw how much staff was getting trained in doing the proper training. How she got in for, and all those years she was Secretary of State, she did training once, and that mm-hmm. was the only time she ever actually held a clearance. She had been a senator. Senators and, con- and members of Congress don't hold clearances; they just aren't. Constitutionally authorized for access, they have security staff that handles everything for them. They have no understanding of the day-to-day grind of security protocols. So she, for the first time, holds a clearance in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Gets one training, and that's all she knows. That's interesting. And so she doesn't necessarily have all that understanding, and that becomes a problem. Hillary Clinton, you know, Donald Trump, probably Joe Biden, who you know is never held in the clearance because he was either a senator, vice president, or president. They are 30,000 foot level people with staff that handles everything for them. They are intimately familiar with the day-to-day, you know, in the trenches procedures for handling classified documents, for transporting them because they've never had someone sitting over them and watching them, you know, step-by-step. Step.
0: So, uh, I want to ask you about the Hush Money case now. Uh, let's start with a very broad question that I've been thinking a lot about. Uh, I've, I see a lot of headlines. I see the commentary from, you know, other pundits and, um, my understanding is that the general takeaway is a lot of people don't think this is an airtight case in the sense that they can get, you know, a conviction on it. Now, me as sort of just a total normie, you know, I'm not an attorney or anything. When I read through the fact sheet that you sent me on it and, you know, I see the case that Alvin Bragg is trying to make, you know, I see it very clearly. I, 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 like, I understand, uh, the moving parts and it strikes me as like, why shouldn't they be able to get a conviction on this? What are your thoughts? Is it like a strong case um, where there could be a conviction or do you think they're overreaching a little bit since it's like a novel application of the law?
2: So it's a strong misdemeanor case. Mm. The felony aspect, elevating to this to a felony is where there's some ground for disagreement um, amongst lawyers. And there are certainly those who are former prosecutors and specific New York state law experts who are opined on this who are far smarter than I am. Uh, but that's where there is some nuance here to this case so the misdemeanor aspect is pretty clear there was uh corporate records that were falsified to conceal the nature of the payments in furtherance of this larger you know catch and kill uh scheme that the trump uh campaign the trump team and trump's personal lawyers were doing for over the course of two years to cover up these stories the doorman and trump tower karen mcdougall and stormy daniels that makes sense the elevating it to a felony under New York state law simply requires that the original misdemeanor having been done in furtherance to conceal another crime. Now, right now, Ellen Bragg hasn't clarified what that other crime is. He's given hints to it. There's state tax laws, there's state election laws. There are obviously pitfalls to both of those particular ideas. And Donald Trump's team is gonna file what's called a bill of particulars. They're gonna demand the court require Alvin Bragg to clarify the specific state laws he's relying upon to elevate this to a felony. And they'll litigate that out before the judge. But the state election law, you know, idea has a, you know, is the novel application because normally state election laws are preempted by federal election law when it comes to federal candidates. Donald Trump was a candidate for the presidency. He doesn't have to comply with local state election laws, he has to comply with the federal election law. So the untested legal theory is can you elevate this to a felony in reliance upon a preempted state law that you're not actually charging? No one really knows. Alvin Bragg is presumably game planning this out with, you know, memos of how they would argue it. The Trump team is going to be prepared with their memos. No one knows for sure how the judge will rule on that. You know, legal nerds will find it fascinating. The public will just be waiting to see what happens. The other part is the state tax laws. That's sort of Alvin Bragg's backup if the election law aspect you know, fails, is to claim that this was uh, done to conceal uh, what was required to be reported as taxes and properly paid on. And ironically, it was that they overpaid Cohen and concealed how much he was supposed to pay in taxes uh, by giving him extra money. That's an inter- again interesting legal application. I'm not aware of it specifically being done in this context. I'm not aware of anything that says you can't argue that claim. This will be what they start fighting over in August and September, when the Trump team and Alvin Bragg's team go back and forth in these pre-trial motions, and the judge will rule on it before the trial, and the case will, you know, rise and fall to some extent by next December as to what kind of case is going to trial. If the indictment stands, if it, you know, goes forward as is, Donald Trump, in my view, is toast at trial. He's got to knock this out of pre-trial.
1: Mm, Gotcha. Oh, that's interesting because you think a a jury would, you know, look at it pretty plain face and say, all right, well, you clearly made the payments. It was clearly in service of furthering your campaign. So we're kind of done here. Um, Do you think that this would have been charged in this way as a felony if it was not Donald Trump?
2: Yes. And part of the reason I say this is because Alvin Bragg has, to his credit, brought in all times, all kinds of criminal prosecutions along these lines of this falsification of business records and in the context of, of committing other crimes. It was just some local New York uh, public official the other day who got indicted or He pled guilty. I forget what the deal was along these lines. So this is a common problem they're seeing in New York. This is something the DA's office in Manhattan has been pursuing, and it's something under New York state law they absolutely can do. Donald Trump's Saving grace in terms of why this is only a state prosecution is that he was president for four years. Because if this had been uh, Donald Trump uh, not having won in 2016 and the DOJ having pursued the inquiry back then when he didn't have the protection of the Justice Department and not indict a sitting president, I think the Southern District of New York would have indicted him right along with Michael Cohen back in 2018.
0: I've uh, read some articles that indicate that Alvin Bragg may have audio tapes of Trump discussing this exact issue and saying something to the effect of, like you mentioned oh, you know, wait till after the election. They're trying to put off paying Stormy Daniels because after the election, I won't
1: paying, Yeah. yeah, After the election, it was like, yeah, it won't matter anymore.
0: (laughs) And so with evidence like that, doesn't it become very clear that he can't hide behind the John Edwards defense of like, I was just trying to save my marriage. And this indeed did have to do with the election. So it is an in-kind contribution and it wasn't reported. Isn't that like really sort of hardcore evidence to make Bragg's case?
2: Yeah. And that's why I said, if this gets the trial, I think he's toast. I don't see their whole defense is he would have done this anyway. It was just to save his marriage and not to have Melania, you know, you know, chop his, you know, genitals off. the. But yeah, and that's where the statement of what you're referencing, I think, is coming from that statement of offense in terms of this discussion about pushing the payments off till after the election it's very clear this was a scheme specific to the 2015 to 2017 timeframe. It's clear this was all tied to the election. It's it's clear this is the only reason they were doing so. Stormy Daniels' story had been out there since 2011. He never did anything about it then, but she was going to bring that story now to whether it was the Washington, uh, sorry, the Wall Street Journal or other outlets. And so they had a very real problem, especially after that Access Hollywood tape came out. They needed to clamp, you know, clamp down on this. They couldn't allow that. Come out. So, like I said, if this gets to trial, his defenses are pretty junk. You know, he'll put up the you know the pro forma efforts. Their view, my assumption of the Trump team is, if they lose in pretrial motions and this goes to trial, they're expecting a conviction, and their whole focus will be winning on appeal to uh, reverse the pretrial motion rulings.
1: And just a quick procedural question: so, is it possible that the judge at the pretrial level says? I'm not buying the felony, but you can go forward with misdemeanor charges.
2: It's very possible. And if that happens, then that's going to just be the way it goes forward uh, at trial. And a misdemeanor is still, you know, let's not forget, misdemeanor is still crime. Our jails are filled with people who were convicted of misdemeanors. And so that would still be a criminal offense. And, you know, and I hear a lot of these as commentary, especially from political pundits on the right of, you know, from Fox or OAN. Well, why would you waste, you know, bother him with misdemeanor crimes? still a crime.
1: <clears throat> here, hold on. We'll, we can edit oh. this part yeah, out.
2: Yeah,
0: we'll edit that out. Don't worry.
1: Get, get it situated. I'm trip. not
2: home, and I'm not with my normal setup here. <laughs> You're good. Wait, You're one good. second. Oh, sorry, guys. I'm just You're fine. working.
1: No worries. It's not live. You're fine. Are we good, we're control good? room? Okay, we're good.
2: Go ahead. Sorry,
0: where was I? You were um, saying it's I still heard. a crime. Yeah, it's still a crime. Yeah.
2: It's It's still a crime in the end. Any any of these criminal provisions that apply to him apply to everyone else, and they should still apply. Now, whether or not he would go to prison over it, no. I, even, even if he's convicted of the felony, I still think he doesn't go to jail over this particular criminal offense. I think he gets probation and something along those lines. But whether it's a misdemeanor or felony, crime is a crime is a crime. They well, wanted to indict Hillary Clinton over a misdemeanor back yeah. in 2016.
1: Right. Well, let me ask you a philosophical question related to that, which is some of the analysis has been like, listen, if you're going to charge a former president, it better be serious. Your case better be airtight. Why are you messing around with some potential misdemeanors? The opposite argument could also be made, which is that no, if anyone should be like really precisely held to account for criminal behavior, it's the people who have been elected to the highest offices in the land and, you know, have all of this like public responsibility. Um, I mean, and then the other argument would be it should just be completely even. A former president should be treated exactly like you or me or you or any other citizen of the United States, which we know, of course, all too often is not the case. What do you think about that philosophical debate?
2: That is I mean, that's the ideal is that we're all citizens in the end. The only person who technically is, quote unquote, above the law from the criminal perspective is the incumbent president. And that's simply because that's the DOJ policy, basically. Congress can impeach you and convict you, but we're not, for constitutional reasons, going to indict a sitting president. Everyone else is effectively subject to the laws of this country at the federal and state level. And you would expect that would be so no matter what your race is, your monetary standing, or your political influence. Now, we all know the reality, you know, power and money tends to, you know, get you a lot of sweetheart deals. Just look at, you know, what Jeffrey Epstein was able to pull off once upon a time. But when it comes to Donald Trump, I think this is critical. And I think it goes to, you know, it, it, everybody's young, it's election interference. I think this goes to what the public deserves to know in the context of voting both in the Republican primary and ultimately if he gets the nomination in the general election. Did the man commit crimes? If he committed crimes, the public deserves to know it. They can decide they don't care. They could elect him and he from prison, and we have no idea how it'll work out, but he would technically become the president. Those are that's the decision of the voters, but the voters deserve to have all that information and all those facts and not just the cherry picked media spun information would ultimately otherwise have.
1: I think, Kyle, part of why I've been more open to these charges than some others have been is because I literally have a friend who was sent to prison for a year, like actual federal prison for a year for the most minor of campaign finance violation i mean what he was actually sent for was then lying to the feds about the campaign finance violations but it was like such a minor infraction that they just absolutely threw the book at this guy and so when i look at the charges and i think of the fact that listen we don't know which way the election would have gone if all the stormy daniels and karen mcdougall stuff came out you know there's no way to go back and replay that history but it wasn't nothing that at the time when the access hollywood tapes had just dropped his team clearly felt this was a very politically perilous moment that they go to these elaborate and fraudulent means in order to cover up, you know, stories that otherwise would have come out. Like, that's not a nothing offense at the highest
0: level. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really care about the alternate history angle of this and, you know, whether or not it would have changed the outcome of the election. For, from my perspective, it's just like, look, you committed the crime. So there should be punishment for it. <laughs> you know, it's more it's a more simple, like principled like I you committed the crime, so now there should be some sort of punishment. Cause we're used to elites getting away with crimes. And there's mm-hmm. a rare instance where that that may not happen. We'll see. But I wanted to also ask you, cause there's also people uh, talking about Karen McDougal now. She came back up. That was a, you know, a playmate who he had an affair with. And my understanding based on what I read is that this, like the whole catch and kill thing that they were doing was like. They did it on a regular basis with a number of people. And so how does that factor in uh, to, to these charges and how does the fact that he was using a pseudonym, does that factor into the charges that he was like using a fake name and like, how does that stuff connect to the charges here?
2: Yeah. So that doesn't change the nature of the charges and the pseudonym used in the NDA. None of that alters the falsification charge on the business records. What that will play into is a counter to the defense they're expecting Trump to make, which they already made for months and years at this point in the media, which was he was going to do this anyways. And that's why in that statement of offense, with all those with the like 13, 14 pages of facts, Alvin Bragg laid out that two-year conspiratorial scheme to do all these catch-and-kill stories specific to the election. Trump decides in 2015 he's running for president. They sit down him, Michael Cohen, and David Pecker, both pecker and cohen testified before the grand jury they outlined this plan to catch all these stories if they show up and to kill them off so no one ever learns about them that was not because donald trump was thinking about doing another season of the apprentice in 2016 it was because he was running for president and he didn't want the public to know about these stories and again he could have done that and he would have been completely fine from a legal standpoint if he had properly documented the transfer of the money to cohen in the the corporate records, because they falsified it in order to conceal that, um, and, it, and especially in furtherance of a separate crime, namely the election issue, that's why he got in trouble. Hush money payments are legal, but you got to properly document that stuff mm-hmm. when it down in records. And he didn't.
1: Well, they're so, not they're not really hush money though. Then when you have to actually document it. No, the, you you kind of lose the hush effect <laughs> yeah, then when you have to like what, record it in your taxes. <laughs> so what's
0: your take on, because one of the things I noticed during the whole arraignment fiasco is that um, leading into it, there was a big deal about the fact Trump tweeted an article and there was a picture of him holding a baseball bat and Alvin Bragg there. There were uh, a couple bomb threats that were called into the Manhattan DA's office. There were threats on people's lives. And of course he did the uh, now well-known, uh, you know, death and destruction, like death and destruction will come if we go down this path uh, kind of tweet Um, and then in the courtroom during the arraignment, they all passed, they passed out pictures of that Trump tweet, which had him holding the bat and Alvin Bragg. And they basically warned him and said, listen, man, you know, you got to get it together. We're not going to accept you like threatening, you know, leading to threats of, of all these people. And then of course, later on in, in the night, he gives a speech and he basically continues to threaten them. And, you know, he says, you're the criminal. You should be locked up. You did something very illegal. You leaked all the grand jury information. and so. My question is, how does that impact the proceedings? Is the best that they could do it like a gag order where they're like, "Okay, now you're not allowed to talk about the case? Or could this, for example, if this somehow they get a conviction, will that weigh into sentencing that like, you know, this person was not acting in accordance with the way the court demanded early on so he could get like a harsher sentence? How exactly would that uh, play into it?
2: Yeah, so it's going to be three parts in which this is going to be relevant. One is obviously this issue that came up, the idea of a gag order. No one's asked for one yet, and it would be extremely controversial to do so, not because it's Donald Trump, but because it's a candidate for the presidency. And so there's a public interest aspect of muzzling um, a candidate for public office, who obviously the public will want to hear from and preventing that person from speaking. So the judge gave him that first warning, which was fine, which I thought the judge should have done. There would have been no basis yet, as far as I'm concerned, for a gag order yet. Trump goes back to Mar-a-Lago, as you noted. and he gave that whole little speech. It was, you know, heavy on the hyperbole and the rhetoric. Nothing threatening yet, as far as I'm concerned. The judge will be watching to see now, especially if Braggs' office brings things to his attention, how Trump handles things over the coming months as this process grinds on. If Trump goes down the path of Roger Stone and he starts making more, you know, direct threats, uh, social media especially, then you could see a potential gag order come into play. We're not there yet. But now here's that's step one. Step two is the jury selection, because they're going to have to find a bunch of jurors to sit on this, and they're going to go through the jury selection, and Trump's team, just like Alan Bragg's team, is going to get to ask them all kinds of questions, and the judge will get to ask them questions. And one of the issues will be trying to find a jury that can objectively evaluate this case. Now, that's going to be a problem for anywhere, any part of the country, but it's in Manhattan because that's where the deal happened. And so it's going to see who's heard of and seen these posts, who knows about the articles and what impression they took from it. That's going to be a very hotly debated issue in jury selection. That's going to cause problems in terms of how they proceed forward. Third part, and this is something you referenced towards, it's sentencing. If he continues down this path, even if he's not gagged, but even if he continues with this hyperbolic rhetoric and making you know subtle uh, threats, to the judge, the judge's family, the DA and his staff, that could play into the pre-sentence uh, report that would come down at sentencing and could factor into what kind of sentence the judge hands down. Maybe it means the judge decides to give him 30 days in prison as opposed to probation. You just don't know. But the more he runs his mouth like that, the bigger risk he's got.
1: Let's talk about the other um, potential cases against Trump. You've got um, whatever's going on with the Fulton County grand jury. Um, You have, uh, you know, other investigations uh, based here in D.C. with regard to, you know, potential incitement on January 6th. I think my understanding is that one suffers from potential issues with the First Amendment. But I'm interested to hear your analysis there Um, and other investigations into sort of uh, election fraud fake elector schemes. Which of those do you think is most likely to come down? Which do you think is the, the strongest case with the fewest legal gray areas to deal with?
2: Yeah. So my view of the timeline, and this is completely speculative, just based off of what we know, you know from the media reporting. I think the classified documents case comes down next. I think Jack Smith has got, now that he had the lawyers testify, he's got the Secret Service agents coming in tomorrow to testify before the grand jury. I think he's just dotting the I's across the T's. I think we see that indictment, if any, because it might not indict, but we see that indictment by the end of April, early May. Then it's a question of Fulton County versus the January 6th probe. Fulton County is ready to go. It's a problem completely separate from Trump that they have a massive backlog of cases. Mm. Um, There is a rule in Georgia that you can hold someone in detention pending indictment only for so long. And Fulton County has just tons of people who are sitting there not charged yet, but detained, pending indictment, and the judges are starting to hammer on Fannie Willis's office saying, you either indict these people or I'm letting them out. So that's what she's doing right now with the grand jury that's currently sitting, is trying to indict all these various other cases before she gets to Trump, because otherwise those people would be let free. And depending on what they possibly did, especially if it was violent offenses, she doesn't want them walking the streets. She wants them properly indicted and brought to trial. So that's a timing issue. We just don't know with Fulton County of, can she get it in this grand jury or will she have to wait for the next grand jury in order to have time to present? The January 6th probe, I think, is still looking at sometime in the summer. And the reason isn't necessarily all the uh, interviews because it looks like Mike Pence is going to testify now. Mark Meadows is going to be forced to testify. Dan Scavino, Robert O'Brien, all those people are going to be forced to testify before that grand jury. It's a larger conspiracy to the fraud case. Um, I don't think it's actually going to be insurrection charge. I think it's going to be conspiracy to defraud, and it's going to encompass all the different acts we know about, the fake electors, the pressure campaign on DOJ, the pressure campaign on the state governors and the state legislatures, and then ultimately the pressure campaign on Pence leading up to January 6th. That's going to be the large, overarching case. That's going to be a very convoluted and complicated case to outline, and they'll have to do a whole bunch of... Um, Memos uh amongst Jack Smith's staff plotting out not only their arguments but the anticipated defenses of the Trump team and figuring out how they would respond to it. So I think that one is the last to go, assuming that Fulton County just has finally enough time to present this case. But yeah, the classified documents case, as far as I'm concerned, the most straightforward. And I think that one's next.
0: Um when it comes to the Georgia case, does that carry the most hefty potential? penalty because it seems like the fact that we literally have it on video that they did the fake electors scheme you know there's the video of them sitting around the table doing this fake elector thing and he also got the phone call he got the phone call i'm eleven thousand votes. votes trump says it was a, per- a perfect phone call <laughs> it, it, a perfect call just like ukraine <laughs> ukraine was perfect that was more perfect <laughs> um so does that is that what carries potentially uh the strongest penalties i would imagine that would be stronger than uh, obstruction of justice or stronger than what we're looking at with this uh stormy daniels karen mcdougall hush money thing am i correct in that analysis
2: it's certainly stronger than the stormy daniels manhattan case with the classified documents case it depends on if jack smith only brings an obstruction charge versus if he also includes the espionage act as part of it i think it's all or nothing i don't see jack smith just bringing an espionage case i think he either brings both of those charges to uh sorry. Uh, obstruction with espionage or obstruction on its own, but I don't see him doing just espionage. Mm. Uh, So if he does that, that could hold far weightier sentencing guidelines and recommendations compared to Georgia. But if he gets to any of these three other cases and gets convicted, I don't see how he avoids prison time at that point.
1: Wow. So um, just uh, this isn't really a fair question. We'll ask it anyway. I mean, if you had to, if you were a betting man, do you think that Donald Trump ends up at some point behind bars?
2: Gun to my head, in Vegas, last $10 in my hand, yes. I
0: think he spends some time in Whoa. jail.
2: Would Whoa. I be shocked if he doesn't?
0: No. Okay. So you're giving it like a 55%, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, not bad odds. It's not bad. More or less a coin flip. <laughs> I'll <laughs> take that playing poker all on the his, river. Give me the pocket pair.
2: All of his own making.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Uh, my final question is... Uh, are there any, I remember the thing that I was always most excited about. I never really bought into the, the the Mueller probe. I felt like they were overreaching with this idea that Trump was like a Putin puppet or whatever. I thought it was kind of BS from the beginning. But the thing that I always you know, kind of had hope on was, I mean, clearly this guy's entire life has been a crooked businessman. You can't be in real estate in New York City in the 1980s without committing massive amounts of crimes. His lawyer when he was younger was literally the top mafia lawyer and everybody knew it. Um, you know, so his business record is, is super questionable and spotty. And I always thought that he's probably involved in some sort of money laundering, definitely tax fraud, definitely insurance fraud, all that stuff. Are there any potential, I know there was a civil case when it comes to the business stuff. Are, is there any potential criminal case ongoing? Because I always had the most hope on the business front that he would get caught red handed there.
2: Yeah. So it sounds like, and mind you, I don't think, Um, Alvin Bragg has ever closed that inquiry completely. But it sounds like Bragg just wasn't convinced there was enough there there to win at trial. I mean, obviously, he had a different point of view compared to Mark Pomerantz, who was the main prosecutor on that case. And, you know, they both could be right and they both could be wrong. We don't know. It would have been a very convoluted case. It would have relied a lot on various experts going back and forth, which probably would have bored the jury a bit it would have come down to some very nuanced issues of real estate and tax laws um, and what the mindset was of uh, Trump and his team as they were putting together these, these reports. It would have been a far more severe case if convicted than what happened to you know the Trump organization in the tax case that ultimately did get brought or what's now been brought against Donald Trump personally. But I think it certainly had its risks. And ultimately that's the DA's call. He's accountable to the voters. He has to face them again at the ballot box. If he's not convinced by the case, he's not convinced and he won't take it forward. Uh, the uh, New York State, you know, New York Attorney General brought the civil case that poses all kinds of problems for Donald Trump on the civil side in terms of business being shut down, at least in the state of New York. He's got plenty of issues on that front. And that information could play a role in a pre-sentencing report if he's convicted in New York in terms of the nature of his character and his background and his conduct. That would be something I wouldn't be surprised to see Bragg mentioned in that sentencing report. But for purposes of liability right now, I just don't see it for him.
0: I mean, I saw the Letitia James press conference where when it was the civil case and she went through all the various crimes in extreme detail, by the way. I mean, she had literally to the square foot what he said his Trump Tower apartment was and what it actually was. And it was way off. And, you know, you overvalue your assets when it's convenient. You undervalue them when it comes to paying taxes and all that stuff. Uh, is the reason why they couldn't like nail him more on that, because in this instance, you're talking about the Trump organization and not Trump the individual. So they find the Trump organization, but the individual himself kind of gets off the hook a little bit. Is that the 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 legal justification as to why it's like, yeah, we can find his business, but we can't necessarily go after him?
2: Somewhat. And there's also the obvious issue of there's different standards of proof that are required because in a civil case, you're possibly just you know, finding him or shutting down the business. The criminal one, you could be potentially putting him in prison and taking away his liberty. So it's a much higher evidentiary burden, especially when it would come down to issues like intent and his knowledge and his particular conduct. And I just don't think, you know, from what I can uh, tell from the reporting, I don't think Brad was convinced they had enough specific to Trump and enough evidence specific to that type of crime to prevail at trial. At least not with the certainty that they generally like to have when they bring a case. The civil case, they don't have all those burden that, that same level of burden of proof. And they can use the uh, Donald Trump invoking the fifth and Eric Trump invoking the fifth against them in a civil case in a way that they can't in the criminal case. So those were advantages Letitia James had that Alvin Bragg did not have.
1: Yeah. Well, this has been extremely helpful getting into the, the weeds on all of these cases. I feel uh, a lot more educated about how this all might unfold in the coming months. So, Bradley, thank you so much for taking some time with us. We're really grateful.
2: Absolutely.
0: Anytime, guys. All right, guys. That was Bradley Moss. Uh, Very, very knowledgeable guy. Um, You know, he's an attorney, right? Yeah. Yeah. National security
1: lawyer. So, yeah, he knows his stuff. Especially, I mean, the classified documents thing, that is his bread and butter. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. He
0: seems bullish on that one.
1: He does. Yeah, he definitely does. I mean, I do feel like just from a... Straightforward, what's the most clear-cut case? That one does seem to me to be, you know, the the kind of strongest. The piece that made that one more iffy was the fact that it was like, oh, Joe Biden had classified high. oh, Mike. Yeah, but again, now look, I I get it. You know, in terms of the legal analysis, right. that doesn't matter. Um, but in terms of how it lands with the public from a political perspective, it might matter. But to be honest with you, my view for what it's worth on the politics of it, I think it's already very clear the way this is landing with the Republican Party. It's only strengthened his hand. I just saw another Republican member of Congress who I think this is the third one this week who's decided to endorse him after his indictment. So they're all flocking to right, him right, again. Right. They're like, All right, we're, you know, we see where this is headed. So with the Republican primary, I think it's very clear. With the general electorate, I really think the public, as much as it's important to look in the legal details in depth as we have today, it's really much more about, do you like Donald Trump? If you do, you don't care that it's a good case or a bad case or whatever. You're going to forgive him for all of it. If you don't like Donald Trump, which is about 60 percent of the country, you feel like this guy's been a criminal probably his entire career, has gotten away with myriad like schemes, fraud, illegal, this, that, not to mention you know, inciting an insurrection and trying to overthrow the government, all of this stuff. And so if you see an indictment come down, you're going to be like, good. It's about time that there's a chance that he may be held accountable.
0: Yeah. You know, my philosophy on that is where there's smoke, there's fire, is the normie perspective. You know what I mean? And one of the reasons I feel that way is I always do if the shoes on the other foot had to feel. And when it came to Hillary Clinton being under FBI investigation, I felt like where there's smoke, there's fire. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I feel like it's a similar thing with Trump. It's like even if he was just under investigation, like what's going on here, man? Because it's hard for an elite. To get any sort of accountability. And when you're at the point where it's like, there are multiple investigations and now there's an indictment and now there's more indictments coming. It's like, to me, I look at that and I go, I think the normie reaction, your average American's reaction, like you said, 60% of the country hates them, but even like 60% plus more percentage points are going to be like, just too messy, man. Just too dramatic. Just too messy. Let's like sort of wash our hands and, and move forward from this. And on your point about the Republican base, all the evidence bears that out at the moment. That is true, that now they're circling the wagons even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm interested in, and we talked about this the other night, Crystal, is like, what happens if there's a second indictment and a third indictment and a fourth indictment? What happens if you get some convictions? Because, yes, if the trends hold, it's up, 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 up and away, and he'll be at 75% by the time the actual voting comes. Yeah. But it's also possible... You sort of like the shock of the first indictment leads to the circling the wagons and leads to everybody like vociferously defending him. But then by the time he gets to like the fourth indictment, people are just sort of like, Ugh. and he sort of peters out and just stays at whatever 50 percent like he's at right now. Yeah. Or he might even well, like decline a little bit because I'm very curious because, yeah, I do feel like there there might be a little bit of a yawn effect at some point. And it's like, yeah, we've seen this show before. We know what's ongoing. So I, I don't know how that's going to play out.
1: In a way, I think there's already a bit of a yawn effect.
0: I really, already, you think so?
1: Well, yeah. It's not like there there weren't huge protests. There were. Well, I think know? that's because
0: they're afraid that it's going to be like a setup. You yeah, know what I mean?
1: Yeah, but I I you know he did he did raise a lot of money off of this. There's no doubt about Millions. it. Millions. Um, and his poll numbers skyrocketed in the primary yeah. from uh in the primary from from all indications. Poor DeSantis. <laughs> the. Like, <laughs> you really feel for the guy, huh? He's like, like what What do I have to do, man? <laughs> nothing. There is nothing you can do. And oh, that's, that's the thing is, oh. even if, yes, people, you know, become less like, oh my God, he's under threat uh, by the time it comes to indictment number 15, this is still going to be sucking up all of the media right. oxygen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how do you break through? Like, DeSantis' theory man. is like... He doesn't want to announce till after the Florida legislative session yeah. because he thinks he's got some real, you know, tricks up his sleeve of like new look at
0: HR two seventy three right. guys. Exactly. Like people good, shut up. Good luck. <laughs> Try no getting arrested, one, then we'll like you. Yeah,
1: no <laughs> one cares about whatever little bill you're gonna pass through the Florida legislature <laughs> and do a presser about. That's his theory, right? That's what he yeah. thinks is gonna make the difference for him. And I think you can just see we're getting a little preview, but this is gonna go on forever. Because even if there aren't more indictments, which I think there will be, you're gonna have pretrial, you know, motions and court battles and this person's gonna testify and this just came out and we found a new thing and the liberal media also. This is very, you know, it's good for them. Their ratings have been way down. This gets revives the the Trump show for them. And so they're, they're back gonna, in full swing, man. They're going to lean hard into it. Fox News has no choice, even if they want to turn the page. Their audience controls them. They don't control the audience. Clearly, Democrats, perhaps foolishly, but they think Trump is their best bet to win the next presidential election. So I think they're right about. They're that. happy. And they might be. Um, I I don't have the level of confidence about it yeah, that you know, do, but they might be. Um, but yeah, they think that it's great for them if Trump's in the center of attention, if he's dominating the Republican primary. So this has, this is going to be self-perpetuating. It's just going to continue the same pattern for, from here on out.
0: They already were showing his plane just parked in the airport parking lot. CNN already did that.
1: CNN commissioned a speedboat to to like mount a camera on to get a picture of his plane coming (laughs)
0: I think it was on the CNN like, front page. They literally had a flight tracker when he left Florida to go to New York. And it just showed like, like yeah, this is literally any flight that goes from New York to Florida or Florida to New York. It's the same goddamn flight path. Why is it? Like, what are you doing? They can't help themselves. Yeah. It's all about the show.
1: And then it's funny because MSNBC made this big like principled stand. We're not going to show the, the Trump speech live, etc. It's like... You know, it, listen, first of all, they're just looking out for their bottom line. They know their audience doesn't really want to hear directly from Trump, but their audience does want to hear all about Trump. You bashing so they, Trump. Yeah, yeah, so they still spent the whole evening right. focused on this. Yeah. They just didn't take, like, the actual news event that was occurring because they think their audience instead wants to hear from Rachel and Nicole Wallace and Joy and whoever else.
0: Well, to your point, yeah, that story that came out this past week, of the 15 million people losing Medicaid yeah, and like just do forget even a time analysis. Cause we know how that would go. The Trump case versus that. I wonder if any of them even covered it at all. And if they did, they probably only gave it a minute or two, but I yeah. bet they didn't cover it at all. Yeah. And that is the outrage that is cause like, again, when in a world that made sense, that stuff like that, you say for the breaking news banner. Now I'm the Trump thing is breaking news too, of course, and I'm fine that they talk about it. It's sure, yeah. Everything in perspective, everything in context, everything reasonable. And for something like the Medicaid thing, it is criminal that they probably don't talk about that at all. And it's just was, Trump, Trump,
1: Trump, Trump, There Trump, was Trump. a Media Matters analysis. Uh, oh, boy. Yeah, they I mean, it, it was not. Yeah, it wasn't covered. It wasn't covered. It was and, on that exact issue? Yeah, on that oh, exact wow. issue. Okay. Um, yeah, I could take a minute to look it up. But, yeah, they, they did it. This was, a, you know, a few days ago. So maybe there's been some coverage since then. But certainly not on the Sunday shows. No mention of it. <sighs> and... No, 15 million people, this is going to completely upend their lives. Right. It's a dramatic failure and, you know, break of campaign promises from Joe Biden, who just in the State of the Union was bragging about how many people were on health care now. Right now. And that's, gone. that's the other piece of this is, you know, this is all Joe Biden got elected the first time because he was able to, like, not really have to do that much and the basement strategy, Right. And so this is great for him as well, because it papers over all of the, you know, increasing number of failures that are coming out of his administration and direct breaking of campaign pledges like with the Willow project as well. So, yeah, they love the show, too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's good for him that the cameras are on Trump 24-7. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there is like elect- there are electoral consequences when 15 million people lose their health care. That is a big, big deal. And they're, you know, just going to be out of sight, out of mind, don't talk about it type stuff. And that's terrible. Yeah, it is. Anyway. All right, guys. We love you all very much. Thanks, as always, for tuning in. Everybody uh, do us a big favor. Shoot on over to Substack. You can sign up for free and get the audio version of the podcast. Usually drops on Saturdays, or you could pay $5 a month to get the video of the podcast and you get it a day early on Fridays. Um, So yeah, thanks for supporting the show. Crystal and I don't talk to any advertisers ever, so you guys support the show from the ground up. We've always, uh, you know, built the show that way, and we're proud that the show runs that way. So hopefully you enjoyed this. Um, we love you guys, and we'll talk to you soon.